0: Fusion Connect is a proud sponsor of this month's podcast. Fusion Connect enables mid-market and enterprise clients to globally connect people, data, and devices, offering end-to-end managed security, managed communications, and managed connectivity. We're super excited about the newest offering, MS Operator Connect. Operator Connect is the evolution of direct routing and allows clients improved experience in many ways, including direct peering with teams, simplified management, and shared service level agreement. Schedule a meeting with your Fusion Connect channel manager, And learn more today, reference this podcast, and they'll send you a gift card for a lunch on them. Welcome to another episode of TBI Talks Tech. I'm Eric Hills, training manager with TBI, and along with me...
1: Dave Polakowski, operations trainer here at TBI, and once again we have a very special guest. We are doing another all TBI episode, Eric. Uh, so our guest this time is, I believe, his first time on the podcast. It is cybersecurity architect at TBI, Peter Trin. Peter, how you doing?
2: Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I like the all
0: TBI episodes. Keep it in the family.
1: That's that's right. Yeah, keep keep it in house. I like it so. All right, so for today's episode, um, you know, we're gonna talk about uh cyber insurance, right? So cyber insurance is an increasingly relevant conversation, and rapidly evolving attacks are becoming more frequent, intense, damaging. And because of that, insurers are paying out more than they collect, and customers' insurance premiums are actually rising. TBI can help.
0: Yeah, I mean there's a number of ways we can help. I just came off the emerging tech boot camp out in San Diego. You know, we're discussing more than just cybersecurity, but certainly cybersecurity is at the forefront, you know, I don't know how many partners and suppliers are all talking about cybersecurity insurance, and there, I think there's two sides to that coin and varying opinions. But TBI can can help to further that conversation via Peter, and we can talk to customers about insurance controls. We can check lists for coverage, and that list is getting longer and longer, and premiums are are going up. But I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for the partner. And it's, it's not something to shy away from. You know, TBI enables our partners by securing end customers and aligning with those asks from the insurance providers. So leverage, Pete. Today, we're going to do a little bit of a different fire drill. We're going to go over some of the common end user questions that Peter gets. We won't go full on role play, but we're going to lob these questions in at Peter so that uh, partners out there can be more prepared to address the same uh, when they get them from their end users.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I don't know about you, but I'm a little sick of hearing from Eric talking. So let's get Peter on. Here. Let's get Peter in the mix here. So, uh, Peter, thanks again for joining us. So I'm going to play the role of someone asking a question, which I will be. Um, so, Peter, my cybersecurity premiums are rising. Um, why is that? And is there anything I can do about that?
2: That is a great question. That's one that we get quite often uh, from end customers. Um, insurance premiums are rising because the insurance Providers are actually paying out a dollar seventy-five for every dollar of the policy that they collect, and a lot of that is because of the—I won't say explosion—but the uh, so many ransomware attacks and so many threats that are coming through that they actually have to pay out for. So they're just paying way more than they're collecting. Now, as far as anything you can do, absolutely yes. Um, When it comes to reducing your policy and your premiums, uh, a lot of it has to do with how much initiative you're taking on your own to secure your organization when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, This is in the way of a checklist as it comes from an insurance company, but from an industry framework perspective, it will be closer to NIST or CMFC as far as requirements for cybersecurity posture. Uh, Doing those things proactively can reduce the premium coming in the door and of course, some insurance agencies will actually reduce your premium if you upgrade to these things somewhere during the process.
0: I heard somebody at the boot camp say an insurer's first job is to not pay the policy. That's kind of scary if you're the policyholder.
2: Yeah, that's 100%. And realistically, it's nothing new to any of us adults, right? We have insurance ourselves, whether it's homeowner's insurance, car insurance, uh, and it's the same thing with those policies. If you drove through a puddle and it got above your engine, your engine seized up, that doesn't actually count as quote-unquote flood insurance, Mm. right? (laughs) Right. So those little nuances are going to affect you. And a relevant conversation we have with a lot of our end customers and partners are because there are a lot of changes from the Russia-Ukraine stuff. Uh, We're seeing attacks these days uh, that don't have a ransom request. So now apply that same use case to your insurance policy. If you unfortunately are a target who gets attacked or inadvertently clicks on something malicious, uh, if there's no ransom request, does insurance still help? It's one of those relevant conversations that every partner can have with every end customer. Every partner realistically is probably going through this as well, even us at TBI. We have cybersecurity insurance. We had to go through the same thought process. We had to go through the same decision-making process. This is what we want to help in customers and partners with because it does none of us any good to have an insurance policy that we can't actually use. Mm -hmm. Now, from an insurer perspective, uh, as they look at a claim, yes, first and foremost, they want to keep the revenue in their coffers. So they're gonna try to not pay or say that there's something that's not covered under contract this isn't the use case that they're insuring. Uh, For example, this happened just the other week with an in-customer where they inadvertently wrote out what was it, 900,000 worth of revenue to who they thought was an affiliate partner and customer when it was the bad threat actor that actually breached their organization and trying to conduct business fraudulently on their behalf, so they reached out to the insurance company, saying, "Hey, we sent out this money. Uh, this was the bad threat actor. Uh, we have started the remediation process, containment process, and uh, you know, how much of this can 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 you help us recoup?" The insurance company came back and said, "Well, you know, you don't have the things that we would." ask you to have in place like uh, XDR endpoint detection response, enterprise log management, multi-factor authentication. So by virtue of those things, we're only going to pay out a hundred grand. You're on the hook for the other 800. Mm. And that's not what the end customer was expecting at all.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think we, we often hear from people once they've been breached, you know, and it's kind of emergency mode, they'll come to you and say, Hey, I've been breached, uh, my cybersecurity insurer says, I now need to implement X, Y, Z, I need a SOC, a SIEM, multi-factor authentication, and I've got a month to do this all.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, unfortunately, that time doesn't leave a whole lot for a uh, decision-making process. Um, unfortunately, when, and then customers in that special situation, they're still potentially trying to find patient zero, uh, what threat vector was uh, compromised uh, to how far the bad threat vector's gotten within their environment. Now the insurance company on top of it is saying, well, you got to put these things in place, you have 30 days to do so, or we're not gonna renew you. And it puts the end customer in such a precarious situation. Uh, now also adding to this, uh, the insurance companies that send out um, an auditor or instant response person or forensics person to conduct a investigation or exercise, the part that people don't really tend to talk about, because they probably don't talk about their own breaches, is um, when an investigation's underway, the system administrator, the IT director, the VP of IT, all the way up to the CIO, is now locked out of these systems. And the use case that we just gave Uh, That organization wasn't able to log into those systems for the better part of two or three months because the investigation, forensically speaking, is looking internally first. They're trying to determine whether it was uh, an actor within the organization or was it an outside threat or was there some collusion. So in which case, all systems are now locked out. And those titles would just be sitting there trying to do what they can but realistically, they themselves are under investigation, too. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Um, no, that makes sense. And so another question, Peter, I know that comes up um, is, you know, um, and this is I find interesting is, you know, my cybersecurity insurance company is telling me to buy through one of their cyber providers. Um, is that something I should do? I uh, shouldn't do. Uh, and why? I guess.
2: Yeah, so that's another interesting question. Uh, we're seeing more and more of this as uh, insurance companies realize that you know they're, they're bleeding cash a little bit. They're trying to make up for that by creating uh, new organizations to conduct that aspect of the business, essentially remediate their own claims. Um, when you're in a situation like that, it's not necessarily a bad situation. If it's a valid uh, option, uh, something that can actually address the use case and provides the desired cybersecurity outcome that the end customer wants, in which case it's a a good thing. Uh, In the case that end customer is not cybersecurity savvy or IT savvy, it would probably make more sense for them to reach out to their proactive cybersecurity partner or TBI, and we can help them through this process, help them understand what their situation actually is, and provide them with options that would actually address their needs.
0: And I think that's an important distinction to make, you know, cybersecurity partner versus cybersecurity insurer. I kind of probably answered my own question earlier here when I said, well, the insurer's first job is to not pay out on the policy. I know end customers ask you, well, is I'm shopping these policies, are these cybersecurity insurance providers going to help me be proactive?
2: You know, that's another excellent question. Uh, we actually get this question from partners providers, and end customers. Uh, so there is a misnomer that an insurance company's checklist is helping an end customer be more proactive with their subsidy posture. And of course, it's a great checklist, right? These are all the industry standard things that every organization should have in place. Uh, however, that is not their true intent. Uh, the checklist is to group together a bunch of policyholders with similar risk profiles. In which case, a claim being filed out of that group is going to be dispersed against that group. So the higher your cybersecurity posture, the more or less likely it should be for you to have your premiums go up because the folks within your group have a higher level of cybersecurity and should prevent uh, more often than not uh, someone who has nothing or has remnants of a cybersecurity posture.
1: Gotcha. So um, here's another question I think that comes up quite a bit, Peter. I would I would imagine, um, does TBI offer cybersecurity insurance, um, or can you know you help us review a policy or something like that? How would that work?
2: Yeah, another great question. Uh, TBI does not offer cybersecurity insurance. However, we can sit down with you and go over your policies, introduce you to uh, folks who can help with that aspect of the journey, uh, whether it's evaluating your existing provider. To potentially looking to a new provider, especially if a provider won't lower their premiums when you invest in protecting yourself.
0: That makes sense, yeah. And I know uh, ransomware is top of mind for everyone. Uh, it's an easy trap to fall into when we're in the office, working from home, working from the car, the airport. Uh, potentially you're gonna click on something. You might you might not otherwise, if uh, you know, you're sat in the studio with Jim. Um, if a customer gets breached and there is no ransom request, is cybersecurity insurance gonna pay if they get breached and there is a ransom request? Are they gonna help pay that out? What does that look like?
2: You know, excellent question. And the reason for that is these policies are written out in a very specific way. Uh, A use case like ransomware is exactly what it sounds like. There's something being held uh, hostage, Or without this action, uh, there's either encryption, data exfiltration, uh, even data deletion uh, to conducting business on an entity's behalf. So when we're talking about what a ransom is, it's the request for payment. Uh, When we're seeing these attacks where there's no request for payment, the intent of the attack was to disrupt a supply chain, for example. Uh, The intent was not to get a dollar amount for the work it's to disrupt the supply chain affecting more folks downstream, whether that's uh, additional partners, providers, all the way to the end customer. And that matters in supply chain when you're talking about small, medium banks, uh, maritime companies, uh, all the way to healthcare organizations, anything that would interrupt our day-to-day daily lives. That's the intent of those attacks, so most insurance policies are not written that way, mm-hmm. and it, it would behoove everybody to look at their policy, to know firsthand what they're signing up for and what protections they're signing up for, and more importantly, is it relevant in what we're seeing? Because the term ransomware" gets thrown around a lot because it's the exposure experience most people have. The reality of getting to a ransomware, there's some things that happen to have have happened before all of that. For example, you have to click on something and you just mentioned that, whether it's coming from an email, a text, there has to be some action on the end user's perspective to open the door for a bad threat actor to come into an organization. Now, that's not to say that people don't go through phishing training or know better themselves. It's just the reality of the world we live in today where as you're trying to delete something, you may inadvertently click on something. And I say all this because there are a lot of times when we talk to smaller organizations and they feel like they're not a target for the cyber criminals. And the reality is I'll ask them, uh, and we were just in a room with a thousand independent retailers and then asked this very question to the room, uh, how many folks in the room feel like they're too small and they're not a target for these bad threat actors? Please raise your hand. Essentially, the whole room raised their hand. And then I asked them how many folks in the room have received an email saying you've won something or something fraudulent is going on at your financial institution. Click here or call us. And they all kept their hands up. And I'm like, well, here, here's the case in point. You are under attack. You just haven't fallen for it yet. And in this case, whether you're deleting something inadvertently clicking on something or someone within your organization, happens to click on something. It's the same net effect.
0: Yeah, it's just I mean, it's just and, small deals versus big deals to the bad guy.
2: You got it. You got it. And as soon as a bad threat actor is in the environment, now everything that you've you planned for proactively, insurance policies, now everything's in effect. Did you plan accordingly? Did you actually plan a breach? Do you have an incident response plan? How does that tie into your disaster recovery plan? This is the planning phase that's so critical up front because it saves tens of thousands if not millions of dollars in the remediation process, the downtime or outage. If uh, an investigation is moving forward and your system's are locked, can you still do business? There's a lot of business operational questions that are involved in this that, for example, cybersecurity checklist doesn't go over. They're just going over the tools and services that are best practice recommendations. I mean how change, you handle something is important.
0: and change sounds like the only constant here. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, get, getting back to kind of the policies themselves. Um, you know, so we know uh, you know, as uh market matures, policies will change. Um, so what are the uh I guess some of the challenges in twenty twenty two as far as security underwriting?
2: Yeah, so I'll I'll yeah, even add more context to this. The um insurance policies and the levers that would give a discount. And again, to use a um, physical analogy, right? Your your car insurance. Uh, I'm a little older than some of you guys. Mm -hmm. So we used to get a premium discount. Well, I know I'm very sophomoric that way. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to uh, insurance, right? Uh, In our cars, our cars didn't come stock with uh, car alarms in the beginning of all of this. So if we invested a few extra dollars into a car alarm, it lowered our insurance premium. It should be the same thing for cybersecurity. If you're taking the proactive measures to secure yourself in every which way you can, you should be offered the lowest policy possible, uh, especially if you're not coming out of a breach, right? Like you're doing all the right things. Uh, this should be a reflection of that, or your policy premium should be a reflection of that.
0: And I think what I, what I would underscore is it's not like you meet this criteria on the checklist, you get the policy. And then and then you let your environment fall out of disrepair. I mean, the analogy is, like, I have burglar alarm that's linked to emergency services and police. I have a fire alarm, and I have to present that certificate that I subscribe to those services when I'm securing my home policy. Well, if my house catches on fire and I've let that policy lapse, the insurer isn't going to be too likely to pay out on the policy. You know, so it's, yeah, a, that- it's a maintenance thing, too.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right, and uh, to answer your original question, as it comes to uh, change being the consistent thing that we see, the requirements for cybersecurity insurance policy in 2020 is different than it is in 2022, uh, especially when it comes to the XDR uh, SOC-SIM instant response in-house ask, and I have every expectation that those requirements are going to change in the near future as well. It's just all of the things that become industry standard into protecting an organization will become more and more standard in an insurance uh, checklist, policy, and to take it slightly beyond cybersecurity insurance, just the ability to conduct business. We have a lot of partners, providers, ourselves included, where an end customer will come with a checklist and ask us to have these things in place before we can even do business together. We're seeing this with CMMC and the DOD supply chain which is essentially NIST on the back end, Uh, but CMFC is a formal program. There's no self-certification. You have to have a different organization come in and certify you as such. And I get the intent of it, right? It's to make sure China doesn't have a space shuttle that's identical to ours. The intent's right. Uh, Just getting there and putting the policies, procedures, program in place is what's gonna take time. For that uh, program, I think the deadline is 2025. But there are a lot of proactive partners, providers, and customers who either are a part of the DOD supply chain or maybe adjacent to the DOD supply chain that feel like they're affected. And you know what, it's best practice when I do it too. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that. There was say, a higher ed or a college university uh, out west that, you know, generally speaking, I wouldn't think a, a college has anything to do with a DOD supply chain. Uh, But these folks work on seed development. They're genetically modifying seeds. They're part of our GDP. They sell to other countries. And that work needs to be protected. So they're going down the path of CMC. So this is a relevant thing for all of us.
0: Have you ever seen a picture of like an old watermelon? Like a painting from the 1700s? It doesn't look like it did today. It was more like white. Not that much pink ripe fruit because of GMOs now. Anyway. Yeah,
2: I'm not that old, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, come on, Eric. What are you doing? So, but that, you know, so uh, Peter, I guess, you know, um, that brings us to the point of like, you know, what can our partners do not only to, you know, kind of protect their customers, but also to capitalize and monetize this themselves,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely. Not to sound cliche, but nothing starts without a conversation. And there's no change to be made until someone changes their mind. It's having this conversation in a safe environment. And I can tell you for all the executives I've had the opportunity to speak with uh, behind closed doors, especially about this subject matter, um, it's a business conversation. This is risk mitigation. All we're trying to do is identify what the risk and gaps are so we can make a business decision on how we're going to approach it, i.e. the risk mitigation framework is four things that you can do. Do you accept it, avoid it? defer it or mitigate it. You have four options. And every executive has this uh, calculus in their mind. And when it pertains to cybersecurity that spans the entire organization, what we're looking to do is offload or defer that risk to a managed cybersecurity provider. And anything that we can't collectively get our arms around, we're gonna defer to cybersecurity insurance. If we're doing it that way, it's the most efficient, the premium should be lower, and you have the right framework in place and the posture that's going to prevent against these use cases that we're seeing day in and day out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, Peter, thanks for uh, joining us. Um, yeah, I appreciate you, um, you know, kind of answering some of our questions and some questions that I'm sure a lot of our partners also have. Um, so with um, that, I will say, for air kills, I'm Dave Polakowski. This has been TBI Talks Tech. Thanks again to Peter Trin, and we will catch you next time.
2: Thank you so much.